sermon number 612, The Mystery of Suffering, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, July 16, 1972, and the text 2 Corinthians 12, the ninth verse. second letter to the church at Corinth, and we begin to read at the first verse of the twelfth chapter. I have to boast, even though it doesn't do any good, but I will now talk about visions and revelations given me by the Lord. I know a certain Christian man who fourteen years ago was snatched up to the highest heaven. I do not know whether this actually happened or whether he had a vision, only God knows. But I repeat, I know that this man was snatched to paradise. Again, I do not know whether this actually happened or whether it was a vision, only God knows. And there he heard things which cannot be put into words, things that human lips may not speak. So I will boast of this man, but I will not boast about myself except the things that show how weak I am. If I wanted to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be telling the truth, but I will not boast because I do not want anyone to have a higher opinion of me than he has from what he has seen me do and heard me say. But to keep me from being puffed up with pride because of the wonderful things that I saw, I was given a painful physical ailment which acts as Satan's messenger to beat me and keep me from being proud. Three times I prayed to the Lord about this and asked him to take it away. His answer was, My grace is all you need. For my power is strongest when you are weak. I am most happy then to be proud of my weaknesses in order to feel the protection of Christ's power over me. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Suffering has been a part of the whole human history. The question, why do people suffer, is one that has haunted the hearts and the minds of men and women of every generation. Elton Trueblood, that contemporary religious philosopher, claims that that particular question is the most difficult that has ever confronted the mind of man. And Bishop McConnell claims that the inability to answer that question has been the major source of skepticism in every religion of the world, including Christianity. 
why do people suffer? Because we are people who are never content to live with unsolved mysteries. We therefore have become people who have parroted our predecessors and joined the parade in trying to give philosophical phrases which sound polite and pompous and pious and very, very profound, but usually which are completely pagan to New Testament bibliography and theology. Yet we still continue to try to answer the question why people suffer. You know the answers. Some of the questions which have come before us and some of the answers which you have given. God allows people to suffer because it is God's will. God's will. That may sound very comforting, but ladies and gentlemen, it's not very correct. In most cases, that's very bad theology. To say that God causes people to suffer makes of God a schizophrenia. An individual who is not only the creator of good and what is beautiful and what is pure, as the Bible says he is, but it also makes him the God of evil and of suffering, which the Bible never says. To say that God wills that you or somebody else should suffer. does not give unto us the Jesus Christ who came to help the world by saving us, by saving it, and instead makes of his Father a God who hates the world with suffering. And that's just not true. Poor God. Poor God. He, he gets so little credit for the blessing. And he gets so much of the blame for the blasts of life. That's not fair. Especially when it's not right nor correct. Other people say, and they seem to have the answers, the reason people suffer is because this is the reward and the punishment of God for some past sin which you have committed. Now, I've heard that many times. It's not very good theology, but it seems to be what many people give as advice. Usually it is one that we use on ourselves when we begin to question why it is that we are walking through some horrible suffering. No matter what the preacher, the counselor, or the helper says, it's so much easier, isn't it, to believe that the reason we suffer is because God is paying us back for some sin that we have committed. 
Granted, if we use these bodies which God has given to us, and which Paul says are to be temples of the living God, and misuse them and abuse them with riotous and selfish living, these old bones are going to take their toll, and they're going to hurt, and we're going to probably suffer. And if we take this mind, one of the greatest things that God has given to you and to me, our mental ability, and if we use these minds to think not upon those things that are true and pure and lovely and just, then granted in the process of time according to the ancient principle of cause and effect, we are going to suffer in our human relations. But ladies and gentlemen, sometimes even though our sin can eventually cause us some physical or mental suffering in life, please never get the idea that your suffering is a direct reward and punishment from God. God never pays us back according to our iniquities. God never punishes us with suffering because of some sin. And I certainly wish we could all get that straight once and for all. God, you see, has had a terrible time trying to get this fallacy in the Christian church corrected. He thought he had done it when he had given the world through the Bible the book of Job. You remember Job? He was a good man, he was a righteous man, he was an innocent man, but he was a man who suffered every and any way possible, physically, mentally, socially, economically, this man suffered. They had three friends, the Bible calls them three companions. They came to Job with this rotten, warped, very rancid theology saying, Job, we really didn't think of it of you, old J.B., but somewhere along the line you must have sinned. Confess your sin and get yourself right with God and with man. One wise interpreter of the scripture says that Job could stand his suffering, but he could not stand the interpretation of his suffering given by his friends, and he refused wholeheartedly, absolutely, to accept that very pagan idea that God rewards his children for their sins with personal suffering. He refused to accept such a cheap idea of God's eternal fatherly love. And the whole book is a testimony to the fact of a man who is good, righteous, pure, and just, but yet who knew suffering, and how he refused to believe that God rewarded sin with suffering. Now you would think such a vivid illustration as that would have cleared the winds once and for all, but it did not. Even when Jesus Christ, even 
even when Jesus Christ walked upon the face of the earth, his disciples, people like you and me, they had the idea that suffering was caused by one's sin. And they came one day upon a blind man, a man who had been blind from his birth. And one of his disciples, finally the people who were with Jesus all the time, said, Master, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus rebuked his disciples, and he said, Neither this man nor his parents, but that the work of God should be made manifest in him. And even though Jesus Christ tells us through his word and through the preacher that God does not punish sinners with suffering, you'd be surprised the number of people who still believe it today. <coughs> I'm sure that there is within reach and sound of the preacher's voice many of you who still believe that your suffering has been caused by God punishing you for some sin that you have committed. Well, if you do still believe that and think the preacher totally wrong in his interpretation of Bible and theology, then just ask yourself this question. What sin was it that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the holy, true man, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, a man who is just like you and me, who is tempted in all ways, yet he never sinned. What sin was it that he committed so that God had to punish him with the suffering on the cross? <laughs> God does not pay us back according to our iniquities with suffering. And I do not mean to take any more time and to bore you and to lead you up further blind alleys by adding still further more philosophical phrases, no matter how pious they may sound as to why people suffer. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know why people suffer. I don't know why today you are experiencing some form of pain. I cannot tell you because the Bible does not tell any one of us. The Bible and either its written word of the Old and New Testament or the word of God made flesh in Jesus Christ. These have not felt that it was wise or profitable for us to know why people suffer. If Jesus had known, I'm sure he would not have cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why? You see, so many people get so upset because we cannot give them chapter and verse as to the cause of their particular suffering. We can't do it. And, you know, I really don't feel too badly about that. 
Because if I could individually tell each one of you why it is that you are experiencing suffering, trace that cause clear back to its root. Tell me, would that in any way, shape, or form take away the suffering that you are experiencing? Would knowing why take one little sting out of the hurt? No. So you see, it really doesn't much matter, does it, whether or not we can explain or tell or diagram where suffering comes from. We still hurt. The purpose, the message of the Bible, of the church, of the preacher, you see, ladies and gentlemen, is not to try and come up with some philosophical sounding phrase that can tell you where suffering comes from, but rather to try by the power of God's Spirit to tell you where you can take your suffering and go. My task and the task of the church is to tell you and to tell you explicitly that yes, suffering will color your life, that by the power of God's Holy Spirit, you have the power to choose what color that will be. Suffering is one of those things included in that word that God uses in his scripture when he says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called by him. And let me then add this phrase parenthetically, if we allow it. Though I cannot explain to you the meaning of that mystery which suffering is and always has been, and as far as I can see, we will never fully understand this side of heaven why people suffer. Suffer. That's a mystery. And we must be content to live with it. We must look through that glass darkly. Someday we may know as we face face to face. But now we see through that glass darkly and must be content with that. But thank God, by the power of his Spirit, we can have power to use that suffering instead of allowing the suffering to use us. How do you do it? One of my professors in seminary claims that one of the things that God can do through our suffering is by making us more serious to life. More serious. I've thought many times what a better world this would be and what better lives we would lead if each one of us individually and knowingly could come through an experience that leads us about 30 seconds short of physically dying and then suddenly be miraculously healed to complete health. I say that because I think from experience with other people 
I think that we understand more about the true meaning and the seriousness of life in the presence of death than we do at any other time. Have you ever noticed it? At the time of imminent death, death that is soon to come into a household or a family or a life, things get into perspective. Those things which seem so important before suddenly have absolutely no consequence. And those things which were so small before suddenly become paramount. Have you ever noticed around death? There's no flippancy, no thoughtlessness. Really very little selfishness, but only love. How wonderful that is. But unfortunately, most of us will never have that experience of coming close to death in order to experience life. But the closest that we can come to it is through our personal suffering. There's John Donne, that great English mystic and poet who said that tribulation is a great treasure and scarcely any man has enough of it. And that's right. It is suffering that so often makes us serious. Remember Don Hope? He was the third baseman on the 1960 world champion Pittsburgh Pirate baseball team. I think some of you knew him personally. I knew him only as I observed him from the stands. But those who knew him on or off the field could recognize the great drive and the seriousness and, and the tenacity that he had on the field and in all of life. But I don't think many of us know how he became that way. A friend who spent many hours with him hunting big game in the off-season tells that what really happened to Don Hope when he was in the service in the Second World War. He and his brother trained together. They went overseas together and they were in combat together. And one day this great athlete had to suffer as he stood by and in combat saw his own brother shot he was killed and dead. And Don Hope vowed on that day, with all seriousness of thought, that he would have to live not only his own life, but in some undefinable way, the life of his brother as well. Lou Braille. 160 years ago, when he was only three years old, was playing in his father's harness shop in France. He didn't know how sharp the little awl was, and he was using it, and it slipped, and it went into his eye, and he suffered permanent blindness. But instead of becoming bitter as others might, this man became serious in trying to read and write and trying to write, and in 17 years he perfected a system which has brought sight to blind people, thousands of them in the world even today.
suffering, you see, can make us so serious and bring us to the serious side of life. It can also make us sensitive, sensitive to the feelings and the hurts and the disappointments and the trials and the tribulations of other people. You all know the high regard that I have for that organization known as Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a great group of people and they do a great ministry. Whenever I am called to a home or a situation where alcohol seems to be in control, after analyzing the situation, the first thing I do usually is get on the phone and call one of my many friends in AA. And here let me publicly state that I have never called one of them in any hour of the day or night when they have not come as quickly as possible. You see, I don't know what it is to be in a drunken stupor. I don't know what it is to, to have the great pangs and temptations that come with wanting a drink. I don't know what it is to try and find support and escape and, and, and strength through a bottle. But those people do. And how beautifully, how carefully, how sensitive they are to the needs and the hellish desires of those poor captives. And why? They've been down the road before. They have gone through the experience. They have suffered. And because of it, they are sensitive and they're angels of God because of it. Suffering can make us serious, sensitive. Suffering makes us more serviceable. No greater example of this is the Apostle Paul. You know, he had some type of a malady. We don't know what it was. Some people think it was physical. Other think that that thorn in the flesh was some personal enemy. Some people think that he had poor eyesight. We don't know what it was, but he prayed to God that God would take it away. He prayed not once, twice, three times, but continuously that God never took that thorn away because the message came to Paul, Paul my grace is sufficient unto you. When you are weak and suffering, that is when I am the strongest. When you are weak, that's when God is the most powerful in your life. Never forget that. As Thornton Wilder says it, in love's service, there is room only for wounded soldiers. God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. May you find in your weakness, in your suffering, by the power of God's Holy Spirit, some creative, wonderful power of seriousness, sensitivity, and of service. Amen. Father, we're very thankful for every opportunity that you have given and for allowing us to understand something about suffering in our lives. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.